نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله قال الله We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Now Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray, and whom of Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. As I witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners, and as I witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam It is his service and his messenger. We are going to begin this session, the 10th lecture, now series of lectures concerning the explanation of the essay of Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah, entitled Usul al-Sunnah, the foundations or fundamentals of the Sunnah, or the fundamentals of the Deen, the Islamic Aqidah. against the 
legitimate Muslim leaders or rulers. Fighting the thieves and the Khawarij is permissible. That is, when they set upon a man with respect to his person or his wealth, when they attack someone, attack his person or try to take his wealth, it is then permissible for him to fight and defend himself and his property and to repel the thieves and the revolters, the Khawarij, and then both, that is, protecting himself and his property with everything that is within his capacity. Last week we discussed briefly the topic of obeying the Muslim leaders and the prohibition of revolting against them. And this evening we would just like to mention, I think I thought to mention last week, just a quick brief definition of the Khawarij uh, as we compiled it or summarized it from some of the definitions given by the Muslim scholars. The Khawarij are the first in Islam to split away from the way of the Prophet and his companions. They arose during the Khilafah or the rule of Ali ibn Abi Talib and they were making rebellion or khuruj against him, disobedience to the leader and fighting against him because of the arbitration between him and Muawiyah may Allah be pleased with them both, that is Ali and Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan from the first aqidah or the first belief of the Khawarij is allowing rebellion against the legitimate Muslim ruler, whether he is pious or wicked. And also, from amongst their first belief is declaring a Muslim to be a kafir, disbeliever, due to commission of a major sin. If any Muslim commits a major sin, they said he became a kafir, a disbeliever, and went out of Islam. We had gathered in a place named Harura, which is located about two miles from Kufa, and are also known as Haruriya in this respect. Imam uh, Ahmed, he mentioned that fighting against the Khawarij, defending oneself against the Khawarij, the revolted against the rulers, those who make rebellion, as well as the thieves, that this is permissible in order to defend your or to defend your wealth. Before going into this topic in detail, I would just like to mention some of the evidences, particularly from the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, related to the, uh, or let's prove and show the wrongness or incorrectness of the position of the Khawarij, those who rebelled and put against the Muslim rulers or the legitimate authority in the lands of the Muslims. There are so many hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim and other books of the books of sin that show clearly the guidance and the instruction of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this manner. And in our discussion last week we mentioned so many of the things of the Imams or the scholars of the Muslims of the past concerning this issue. So let us just briefly summarize some of the proofs, some of the evidences from the Sunnah that support the position of the Imams that it is incorrect and it is against the Sunnah and not allowed to make rebellion or al-Quruj against the legitimate Muslim rulers. 
first and one is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as reported in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Tamim al-Dari radiallahu anhu. He said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ad-Din al-Masriha. The religion is al-Masriha. Giving good advice of being sincere, etc. He said that three times. They said, Mimin ya Rasulullah, who is this Masriha surah or Messenger of Allah? He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Lillahi wa li kitabihi wa li rasulihi wa li a'immati al-Muslimina wa a'amatihim. That this in Masiha, for being sincere and giving advice, is to Allah, sincerity to Allah, and being sincere in following the guidance of the Book of Allah and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Qur'an and Sunnah, and also giving advice to the leaders of the Muslims, giving Nasiha and being sincere and right to them as well as to the general population of the Muslims. Al-Allama al-Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Sa'adi rahimahullah in explaining this hadith mentioned that as for the Nasiha or being sincere and giving advice to the leaders of the Muslims and that means those who have any responsibility or authority over the Muslims, from the Sultan, Al-Sultan Al-A'zam, that is the main Muslim ruler, the leader of all the Muslims, to the Amir, or the leader of any group of Muslims, to the Qadi, the judge in the court, and it also includes all of those who have any kind of responsibility over the Muslims, whether that responsibility is small or great. So he says, since these people responsibility and their obligation is so great, more than others, that is the main Muslim leader, the Khalifa, or the Amir of the country, or the Qadi, or Sirwan, anyone who has any responsibility as the Muslims, since their responsibility is greater than the others, then it is obligatory to give them a nasiha, to advise them and to be sincere and write to them, according to their position. And this is in light of, or in consideration, and acknowledgement of their imamah, their position as imam, and their position as being uh, one of those who have been given authority or responsibility over the affairs of the Muslims. So it is obligatory to obey them in the best ways, and it is forbidden to make khuruj or rebellion against them. And it is also expected to advise the common people or those under their authority to obey them and to stick to those things that our leaders have commanded us with as long as that which they commanded us with is not in contradiction or in conflict with that which Allah and His Messenger have commanded us with. And also we should make every effort uh, to advise them making clear to them those things that may have passed by them, that they didn't notice or didn't understand or didn't see. We should advise them about those things, especially those things that they are in need of being brought to their attention in order to fulfill the needs of the people under their authority. Everyone should do this, should fulfill this obligation according to his condition or his status in the society or in relation to that person in authority, whether the ruler or otherwise. Also, we are expected as part of al-Nasiha, the Nasiha to a'illah for Muslimin, according to the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our Nasiha for the imams of the Muslimin is also that we should supplicate for them that Allah would make, would collect them and would bring them success in doing good. Because if they are collected 
their their condition is improved, then this would also be good for the people under their authority or those people who are under their leadership. And also we should avoid accusing them, cursing them, speaking badly against them or spreading their faults or their shortcomings. Because in this is a very great evil and harm and a great corruption in the society that should be avoided. Also, from nasihatim, yani of that thing that we are obligated to give nasihat to them about or to, to be sincere to them about is that we should be warned and we should warn others against uh, and speaking against them or trying to find fault with them without any benefit from such action. Also, whoever sees from the leader any wrongdoing or that which is unlawful, then he should bring it to the attention of that person in authority privately, not publicly, privately, and it should be done with the best of speech in a kind way and with the type of words that are appropriate and suitable for the position of that person in authority. You don't speak to the ruler or to the party or to the person in authority like you speak to your child or to someone under your authority or less or a lesser position. And the purpose of this, bringing it to their attention privately and speaking to them in the best type of way, in the best manner and with easy and soft words is so that the objective of advising them can be fulfilled. Because we don't want to run the person away, but we want to advise them in a way that the advice would be acceptable to them and perhaps they would correct themselves. This is what is hoped for and this is the right of every individual that we should advise every Muslim, whether he is a ruler or not, but for the rulers they have no right that we should advise them and advise them in this way. That which, that's the end of what the Shaykh has said, and then that which supports what he says from the authentic hadith of the Prophet that he should advise them and that it should be done privately and not publicly, not speaking out against them publicly, is that which has been reported by Ibn Abi Asim in his book as Sunnah that the Prophet said, Man arada and man saha min sultanin fala yabduhu alaniyatan walakin yaakhuda biyadihi fayakhlu bihi fayantibila minhu tadaka wa illa kana qad ada alladhi alayhi. And this hadith has been declared sahih or authentic by Shaykh al-Bani Hafidahullah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this hadith said, Whoever wants to advise anyone who has authority, any person who has control or authority, or who is in a position of rulership, whoever wants to advise such a person, then فَلَا يَبْدِهُ عَلَى مِيَةً Then don't do it publicly or openly in front of the people. وَلَكِنْ يَأْخُلَ بِيَدِهِ But taken by his hand, وَيَخْلُوا بِهِ And taken to a private place where no one is around, and advise him in that way. فَإِنَّ قُبِلَ مِنْهُ فَذَاكَ And if he accepts it, then that's very good. وَإِلَّا كَانَ قَدْ أَدَى الَّذِي عَلِيهِ And if he didn't accept it, then you have fulfilled your responsibility that Allah placed on you to advise the leader or the ruler. Also, the hadith that is reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar 
from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, Ala al-mar'i al-muslimi as-sam'u wa ta'atu fima ahabba wa kariba. That it is an obligation on every Muslim to hear and to obey that which is pleasing to him and that which is distasteful to him. This means that even if the order that comes from the authority or the ruler or the leader, even if it's something distasteful to us, we are still expected to obey. Except in the case that someone has been ordered or commanded with an act of disobedience, that is disobedience to Allah or the Prophet ﷺ. In that case, the Prophet ﷺ said, Then in that case, we should not hear them nor obey them. And also in the Sahih name of Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abdullah bin Masood, رضي الله عنه, may Allah be pleased with him, he said that the Messenger of Allah said, إِنَّهَا تَكُونُ بَعْدِ أَثَرَةٌ وَأُمُورٌ تُنْكِرُونَهَا He said that after me, the Prophet said after me, you will find that some of the rulers would give preference to themselves, and they would keep some rights to themselves and not give you your rights. They would give preference to themselves over the people. And other things you will find them doing that you would dislike and you would yeah, uh, speak against. They said, Ya Rasulullah, كَيْفَ تَأْمُرُ مَنْ أَدْرَكَ مِنَّا ذَلِكَ What do you order those of us who have reached that time that the ladies would do such things? The Prophet said, تُؤَدِّرُونَ الْحَقِّ الَّذِي عَلَيْكُمْ وَتَسْأَلُونَ اللَّهَ الَّذِي لَكُمْ He said that you should fulfill those obligations that are upon you. Yeah, your obligation to obey the leader, you should still fulfill it even if he's doing wrong. And ask Allah for those rights which the leader is keeping back from you. Ask Allah for your rights. Give him his rights and ask Allah for your rights. And also in the Sahih of Muslim in the authority of Wa'al ibn Khujr radiallahu anhu he said that Salama ibn Yazir al-Ju'afi asked the Messenger Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said Ya Rasulullah in qamat alayna umra yas'alunana haqqahum he said, if we found that the leaders or the emirs who would be placed over us would request or require of us their rights, and they would request or demand for us to obey them, that they wouldn't give us our rights, that we are entitled to from them, what do you order us to do? فَعَارَضَ عَنْهُ ثُمَّ سَعَلَهُ Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned away from him and he asked him again, when he turned away again and the person asked him a second time or a third time, فَجَذَبَهُ الْعَشْعَةُ إِبْنِ قَيْسِ Then الْعَشْعَةُ إِبْنِ قَيْسِ told him, yeah, I mean, to stop him from keep asking the Prophet ﷺ such a question, he considered perhaps that he was annoying the Prophet ﷺ, فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مَنْ مَسْلِلَ وَاللَّهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Answer him finally, and he said, اسمعوا وعطيعوا فإنما عليهم ما حملوا وعليكم ما حملتم. He said in such a case that you find the leaders doing such things, uh, that they are asking for their rights, but they are not giving their rights. He said, اسمعوا وعطيعوا. I order you to hear what a man and to obey them. فإنما عليهم ما حملوا. Because 
they will be called to account for that the responsibility that is upon them. As well as they will be questioned by Allah that they fulfill their rights or their obligations upon them. And you will be called to account for that responsibility which is given to you. Each one will be accountable, they may fulfill the obligations upon them. Don't worry about them. If they don't fulfill rights, then Allah will question them. But you fulfill the rights that are upon you because Allah will question you about that which is your obligation and not theirs. And Ibn Abdul Aziz al Hanafi, Rahimahullah, in his explanation of the Al Aqidah al Tahawiyya, one of the great books of Islamic Aqidah, concerning this issue he said, We do not agree that we can make rebellion against the leaders or those who are giving authority over the Muslims, even if they are oppressive or wrongdoing. And then he explained this by saying, as for our obligation to, to stick to obedience to them, even if they are oppressive or wrongdoing, this is because rebelling against them causes, uh, or rebelling against them and holding back our hands from obedience causes more evil and harm in multiple, so many times over, than the result of the evil or the wrongdoing of that individual when it is restricted to himself. Not only that, not only that rebelling against them will cause even more evil than the wrongdoing that they are doing, but in being patient and sticking to the obligations that are upon us, as Allah has ordered us to obey those in the bodies and amongst us, in being patient in their oppression or in their wrongdoing or in their evil, it is a means of taqseer al-sayyiyat wa muda'afat al-ujur. That is, it is a means for Allah, if we are patient, even with our wrongdoing leaders, it is a means for Allah to forgive us our sins and to multiply our reward. And this is because we are in obedience to Allah and following uh, that which Allah and His Messenger has ordered us to he said, Verily Allah has not placed in authority over us such leaders except due to our own wrongdoing and corrupt actions. And the reward is always of the same type of the deed. If we see that what is coming to us is evil rulers, it is because of the evil of our own selves. So it is obligatory on us to work hard in making this state of fire, asking Allah's forgiveness, and as Tawbah, repenting to Allah, and correcting our own deeds. This is the way to uh, correct ourselves in order to uh, correct the leaders or to for Allah to place over us those who would be better if we ourselves are better. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Shura, chapter 42, verse 30. That whatever affliction has befallen you, any musiba that has afflicted you, it is because of what your own hands have done. It is your own doing. وَيَعْفُ عَنْ And Allah forgives so much. And also the saying of Allah in Surah Al-An'am, chapter 6, verse 129, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ نُوَلِّي بَعْدَ الظَّالِمِينَ بَعْضًا بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْسِدُونَ And also we have placed in authority some of those wrongdoings 
over others of them. We have placed a zalimim in authority over those who themselves are zalimim or wrongdoers or oppressors. Bima kamu because of that which they have earned. Yeah, I mean because of their own deeds or actions. So if the fellow or the people under authority want to free themselves from the oppression of their leader, then they themselves should stop wrongdoing or the wrongdoing of their own hands. And this is the end of what Ibn Abdul Aziz al-Hanafi said in explanation of this thing. Also, in this line, in the Hadith, narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, from Nafi'i, who said that when the people of Al-Madina, the three of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, started to hold back their allegiance from Yazid ibn Muawiyah, then Ibn Umar, that is Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu wa ala bihim collected those who were close to him and his children, and he said to them, Verily I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Yamsibu li kulli ghabirin liya'un yawma qiyama. He said, I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying that every person who goes out in rebellion against the authority, a flag will be raised up for him in the day of resurrection. A flag to identify him that he was a person that was outside of the authority of those who he has given allegiance to. وَإِنَّا قَدْ بَايَعْنَا هَذَا الرَّجُلُ عَلَى بَيْءِ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَإِنِّي لَا أَعْلَمُ غَدَرًا أَعْظَمُ مِنْ يُبَاعِيَ رَجُلٌ عَلَى بَيْءِ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ يَنْسِدُ لَهُ الْكِفَاءِ He said, and verily, he said to his children, and those who are close to him, he said, verily, we have given allegiance to this man. Even if that man is evil, no matter, we have given allegiance to him, allegiance based on the allegiance of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and I don't know of anyone who goes outside or who makes a rebellion that is greater than the one who gives allegiance to someone in the name of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then they stand up and fight against that one to whom they have given allegiance. And then he, Abdullah ibn Umar, reminded them that no one of you who separates from that allegiance which he has given or who modifies it, no one of you except that know for sure that this is al-faisal, yeah, I and mean, this is going to be the clear and definite separation between me and the one who rebels against the ruler or modifies his allegiance to that ruler. Al-Hafiz ibn Hadith al-Kanani, rahimahullah, he says about this hadith in Fatul Bari, the estimation of Bukhari, that in this hadith is an indication of the obligation of obeying the Imam who has been given the allegiance, the oath of allegiance, and the prohibition of rebellion against him, even if he is an oppressor in his rulership, and that his corruption or his own personal wrongdoing is not a reason for his oath of allegiance to become invalid. And also in the Sahih of Muslim, on the authority of Nafi'i, he said that uh, Abdullah ibn Umar came to Abdullah ibn Mutiyah at the time when he Although there was a problem in the Hurra, the Hurra, the, in Medina, in the place in Medina where the people had made rebellion against the Azir in Muawiyah, and he said to him, that is, Akra ibn Mutiyah said, Atrahu li Abi Abdurrahman Rahman put out a pillow for Abdullah Abdurrahman to sit, but he said, that is, Abdullah ibn he said to him, Ummi lam atik li I didn't come to sit 
Whoever holds back his hand from obedience to the ruler, لَقِلَ اللَّهَ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامُ وَلَا حُجَّةٌ لَهُ He will meet Allah on the day of resurrection. He will not have anything or any argument to argue on his behalf. وَمِنْ مَاتَ وَلَيْسَ فِي عُنُقِهِ بَيْعَةٌ مَا تُمَيْتَةٌ جَاهِلِيَةٌ And whoever dies, when he is not under the authority of a leader, or leaders to a Muslim leader, then he dies like the death of those who died before Islam in the days of Jahiliyyah. And also, even if the, evil, the ruler is evil, it is reported in the hadith of Al-Bukhari and Muslim in the Prophet Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, who said that the Muslim of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ رَعَى مِنْ أَمُورِهِ شَيْئًا يَكْرَاهُهُ فَلْيَصْدِرْ عَلَيْهِ Whoever sees from his leader that which he dislikes, something distasteful or bad, فَلْيَصْدِرْ عَلَيْهِ Then he should be patient with it. فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ أَحَدٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ يَخْرُجُ مِنَ السُلْطَانِ شِبْرًا for no one would go out of the authority, even of the authority of the ruler, even a handstand, even a little bit, except that if he died in that condition, he would die like the people before Islam, the, day, the people of Jahiliyyah. Uh, in this hadith are so many, but we just wanted to mention some of them so that it would be clear that the position of those who think that they can disobey or rebel against the rulers, whether they are righteous or unrighteous, that this position is wrong. And it is also reported in the Sahih of Muslim of the Apartheid Aus, Ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, from the Muslim of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, the best of your imams are those whom you love and they love you, and you pray for them and they pray for you, and the worst of your imams are those whom you hate and they hate you, and you curse them and they curse you. We said, Ya Rasulullah, as-salamu na'abidhuhum, the state, Omar said, Allah, shouldn't we say this from the Torah at that time in the Valika? He said, La, ma'aqamu fikum as-salat. No, don't fight against them as long as they uh, continue to perform the salat or establish the salat. And he said that again, and then he said, Allah, man waliya alayhi mali, sara'ahu ya'ati shay'an min ma'afiyati Allah, fal yakrahu ma ya'ati min ma'afiyati Allah, that whoever a wali or a wali has been placed over someone has been placed in a body over you, whether he is the, the leader of the city or the town or the village or the state or whatever, whoever, when someone has been placed in a body over him, and then he sees some disobedience, something of disobedience, ma'afiya, or disobedience to Allah in that leader, and he, then he should hate that thing which he has seen with disobedience to Allah, but in spite of that, even though he should hate that disobedience, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, But he absolutely should not refrain his hand from obedience to the person in authority. And finally, three hadith concerning the rulers, the responsibility of the rulers themselves, not only are the followers or the people under authority responsible, uh, to Allah to be obedient, but the rulers are also responsible for that authority which has been given to them, and it is a very uh, severe and serious responsibility, as reported by Abdullah ibn Umar in the Sahih of Muslim, radiallahu anhu, yani Abdullah ibn Umar and his father, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna al-Muqsifun inda Allahi ala manadir min nur an yameeni rahman kinta yadayni yameen الذين يعدلون في حكمهم وأهليهم وما ولوا يا 
يعني ذلك المقصدين ذوك وجد إن كنت أب الله يبيعون من يبيعون من بعض أستند أب ليس on the right of Ar-Rahman, on the right side of Allah Ar-Rahman. And both of his hands are right hand, and then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, those who are just and right in their ruling and to their family and whatever authority has been given to them. And also in the Sahih of Muslim and the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her, that she was the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and say, this dua, Allahumma min waliya, من أمر أمتي شيئا فشق عليهم فشق عليه والله أبدا has been given any authority in any fear over the people of my ummah and when he is harsh to them then Allah be harsh to him ومن ولي من أمر أمتي شيئا فرفق بهم فرفق به and whoever has been given any authority in any fear over the people of my ummah and he is kind to them then be kind to him and also finally in the Sahihain in Al-Bukhari al-Muslim from Al-Hakim al-Bakari Rahimahullah he said that Abdullah ibn Ziyad visited Ma'aqal ibn Yasir in the time in his sickness that he died from and Ma'aqal said to him said to Ubaidah ibn Yazid who was the leader at that time he said to him إِنِّي مُحَدِّثُكَ حَدِيثًا فَمَاتُهُ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ I am going to narrate to you a hadith that I heard from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I heard him saying, مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يَسْتَرَعِيهِ اللَّهُ رَعِيَّةً يَمُوتُ وَهُوَ غَاشٍ لِرَعِيَّتِهِ إِلَّا حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ That there is no servant of Allah whom Allah has given an authority. Allah has given an authority over people. When that person dies while he has violated the trust that has been given to him be the authority over those people under him, no person who has been given such authority and he violates it except that Allah will make haram for him to enter the Jannah. So these are some of the hadith and those hadith are so many who are not able to read them all. Inshallah, whoever will review and Bukhari and Muslim, you will find many of those hadith mentioned there. Al-Imam Ahmed goes on to say, after mentioning the Khawarij and the Zeev, he said, وَلَيْسَ لَهُ إِذَا سَارَقُوهُ أَوْ سَرَقُهُ أَنْ يَسْلِبَهُمْ وَلَا يَسْتَبِعَ آثَارَهُمْ لَيْسَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا الْإِمَامِ أَوْ وَلَاتَ الْمُكْفِنِينَ It is not permissible for anyone, and who the Zeev have come to or the Khawarij have come to, when they depart from him or abandon him, if they ran away from him or left, it is not permissible for him to seek after them, to follow them. Nor should he follow their tracks. This is not permissible for anyone other than the Imam or the leader or those charged with authority over the Muslims. Now, if they came to someone's house to steal from his house something, that they ran away and escaped, then he shouldn't follow them. But only he should leave it to those who are in authority, the rulers of the Muslims or those who they are placing authority from the police and, and the likes of them. وَإِنَّمَا لَهُ أَنْ يَدْفَعَ عَنْ نَفْسِهِ فِي مَقَامِهِ ذَلَكَ وَلَمْيَ بِجُعْدِهِ أَنْ لَا يَقْتُلَ أَحَدًا He is only going to defend himself in his own place, in his own home or place of business, etc. And he should intend by his striving against him or fighting with those who try to attack him or his property, he should intend that he will not kill anyone. That he will not kill anyone. فَإِنْ مَاتَ أَوْ أَمَاتَ على يديه على يديه في جفعه عن نفسه في المعركه فأبعد الله المقتول وإن قتل هذا 
في تلك الحال وهو يدفع عن نفسه وماله رضوت له الشهادة كما جاءت كما جاءت في الأحاديث. Uh, he is going to become himself in his place and to intend not to kill anyone. But if he kills him while defending himself in the battle, then Allah will make the one killed, that is the criminal or the Khawarij, the rebellious one, will make him far removed from Allah or from any goodness. And if he, the one who is defending himself in his property, is killed in that state, while he is defending himself in his property, then I hope that he will have shahadah, that is, not to he will be a shaheed. As has been mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, as reported in Sahih Muslim, that uh, a man came to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, what do you think? If a man comes to me in order to take my property or my possession, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, Fala tu'atihi malak. Don't give him your wealth. That man said, What if he fight me, he said, فَاطِلُهُ then fight him. He said, what about if he kills me? He said, فَأَنْتَ شَهِيد then you will be a martyr for defending yourself or defending your property. He said, what if I kill him? He said, هُوَ فِي النَّارِ then he would be in the hellfire. Also, Imam Ahmed goes on to say, وَجَمِيرُ الْآثَارِ فِي هَذَا إِنَّمَا أُمْرَى بِسِيْتَانِهِ وَلَمْ يَعْمُرْ بِقَتْلِهِ وَلَا اتِّبَاعِهِ وَلَا يَجْهَزْ عَلَيْهِ إِنْ سُرِعَ أَوْ كَانَ جَرِيحًا All of the narrations and reports of the hadith in this regard have ordered the failing of him that did not order killing him, killing the thief or the rebellious one, nor pursuing him, nor finishing him off if he fell to the ground or became wounded. وَإِنْ أَخَذَهُ أَثِيرًا فَلَيْسَ لَهُ أَنْ يَقْتُلُهُ وَلَا يُقِيمُ عَلَيْهِ الْحَدِّ وَلَكِنْ يَرْفَعُ أَمْرَهُ إِلَى مَنْ وَاللَّهُ اللَّهُ فَيَحْكُمْ فِيهِ And if he took him as a captive, he should not kill him and should not carry out the prescribed punishment, the hudud against him, but rather he should raise his matter to whomever Allah has appointed and given authority so that those who are in authority may judge in that matter. Also, it is reported in the hadith uh, concerning those who fight to defend themselves or their property. It is reported uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in hadith reported that Abi Bakr radiallahu anhu, man kudila dhuna malihi kahu shaheed, whoever is killed while defending his wealth, then he is a shaheed, a martyr. Man kudila dhuna dhanihi, and whoever is killed protecting his life. فَهُوَ الشَّهِيدِ then he is a martyr وَمَنْ قُبِلَ دُونَ دِينِهِ فَهُوَ الشَّهِيدِ and whoever is killed defending his religion then he is a martyr the next topic that Imam Ahmed discussed after this is concerning a very important topic and it is the topic of making some definite statements Concerning who would be in the paradise and who would be in the hellfire. Imam Ahmed says, "ولا نشهد على أحد من أهل الكبرى بعمل يعمله بجنة ولا نار. نرجو للصالح فنخاف عليه ونخاف على المسيء المذنب ونرجو له رحمة الله." 
And we do not sympathize for anyone from amongst the people of the Qibla, anyone from the Muslim Ummah. We do not testify or affirm on account of any action that we have done or any deed that we have done. We do not say then as a result of that good deed or such good deed that he is in paradise or such bad deed due to them we say that he is in the hellfire. We have hope for the righteous one and we fear for him. We hope that he will be in paradise and we fear that Allah may punish him for other deeds that he has done and we fear for the evil one and the sinful person and we hope in the mercy of Allah for him, for the evil person who does evil deeds openly and publicly and to such an extent that he appears to be of the people of hellfire, we fear for him because of his evil or his sinful deeds, but we don't give up hope for him, we still hope for him for the mercy of Allah, if he is of those who testify to the oneness of Allah and to the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, therefore being from amongst the uh, Muslims. And this is the position of the Ahl Sunnah al-Jamaah that we don't take any definite stand. No matter how good a person may appear to be or how evil they may appear to be, if they are from the Muslim Ummah, we cannot say that anyone is definitely in the hellfire or definitely in the paradise, except those for whom the Qur'an or the Sunnah has mentioned them specifically and affirmed that they would be in the paradise or in the hellfire, such as the Al-Ashara al-Mudashirin al-Jannah, that is, those ten people who the Prophet وسلم, gave the good news that they would be in the paradise. Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn al-Jabeen, Hafidullah, in his summary or in his explanation of this point, he said that this is the aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that they don't speak with definiteness about anyone, that they would be in the paradise or in the hellfire. Uh, even if we find some text from the Sunnah or Hadith which seems to apply to them. Because there are some Hadith which are called a Hadith Al-Wa'id. Those Hadith which threaten the Hawthorne for those who did evil deeds. And there are other Hadith, a Hadith Al-Wa'id, those Hadith which promise the reward of paradise for those who do certain good deeds. But we say, even in spite of the fact that we may see these hadiths being applicable, the threat of punishment or the promise of reward to such people because of the deeds that we see in them, we still say that everyone's affairs with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at, for example, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمْ عَلَى النَّاسِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَبَتَّغِيهِ ذَلِكَ وَجْهَ اللَّهِ That really Allah has made the fire forbidden to touch the person who says, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ saying that, seeking the faith of Allah or the reward of Allah, yani whoever says such word of la ilaha illallah, sincerely for the sake of Allah, seeking the faith of Allah, whoever says such a thing, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the fire would be forbidden for them, they would not be touched by the fire. This is of the ahadith al-wa'ad, or the hadith, the promise, the good news, or the paradise for those who do good deeds. But can we say that every person who says, La ilaha illallah, can we say that all of these people are the people of paradise and that the fire will be prohibited to touch them? No, but we say that their affair is with Allah because al-akhlaq is, a, is a, the sincerity, whether they said it sincerely, is a matter that is of the unseen matters that's only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We see the people doing the deeds, but we don't know if they are doing it with ikhlaq or purely and sincerely for Allah alone. 
Also the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for example, لَا يَدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةِ مَنْ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ مِنْ That no person would enter the paradise who has in his heart even uh, a small amount of pride, the, the amount of a small ant, or the amount of the size of an atom, even that small amount of pride or arrogance, if they have such in their heart, they would never enter the paradise. So, can we say that every person who has a little bit of pride in their heart, even from amongst the Muslims, that they would never enter the paradise? We cannot say such, but we say, like we said in the first case, that they are saying with Allah and Allah is the judge of that, uh, because what is in the heart is not known to us. So we cannot say with definiteness that anyone would be in the paradise or anyone would be in the fire, but we say that those people who do bad deeds, they are the sinners, about whom certain Hadith have been narrated. There are no threat of punishment for them. Uh, but their affairs with Allah, if He will, He will punish them. And if He will, He might forgive them. Allah can forgive whomever He will. And as for those people who did good deeds, we say that these are the people who were promised the reward, and these are the people who were promised forgiveness for the deeds that they did. But still, their affairs with Allah, if Allah pleases, He will cause them to compete such actions and to die on such and not to turn away from it in the end of their life and reward them for that by his mercy and if he will, he might also punish them for whatever evil deeds they have done in addition to what we have seen from them of good. And Allah knows that about these things. So what we say, the Ahl Sunnah we say that we don't say with definiteness about any specific particular individual that he is guaranteed paradise or he is sure to enter the fire except those whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has specifically mentioned like the same people who were promised paradise and others like them whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned specifically like Al-Hakim and Al-Hussein radiallahu anhum and other such people whom the Prophet in authentic hadith mentioned that they would be in the paradise. And the same with the people of Hellfire, we don't say that anyone will be in the Hellfire except whom the Qur'an or the authentic Sunnah has specifically mentioned that they would be in the Paradise or in the Hellfire. And some of those people uh, who, uh, who we can say that they would be in the Hellfire is as mentioned in the Qur'an, uh, specifically Abu Lahab, that is Abdul Izzah, would be in the fire. Uh, and also he said about his wife, uh, that she would also be punished with the hellfire. So this is يعني, someone specifically mentioned in the Qur'an and also in the Sunnah, Abu Talib, Abdul Mannaf ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said about him, that is the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as recorded in the Hadith of Muslims, and also in Bukhari on the authority of Ibn Abbas, and in Bukhari on the authority of Nu'man ibn Bashir, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ahwanu ahlan adhaban abu talib. The people who have the, who is the least punished people in the hellfire would be Abu Talib. Wahua munta'il bina'alayni yagli minhuma dimaguhu. And he would be fitted with shoes or sandals that would boil to such an extent that it would cause his brain to boil. And he would be the least of the people of the hellfire. So also we can say, 
that uh, based on the authentic hadith that these or based on the Quran that there are some people specifically mentioned otherwise we cannot say that anyone is definitely to be in the hellfire but we say that uh, we testify uh, in general that the believers would be in the paradise and that the disbelievers in general would be in the hellfire and we only testify anyone being in the hellfire or the paradise according to the text of the Qur'an or the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The next point is the lengthy point and Allah knows that if we have time to complete it but at least we can mention some of it. Next Imam Ahmed talks about those people who committed sins. And he mentions four groups of people. The first of them is the one who commits a sin and he repents and doesn't continue in such. The second of them who commits a sin and then he is punished by the Islamic law while he is living in this world and such punishment would be a kafara or an expiation for him. The third of them is the one who commits sins and he continues in his sins and does not repent from it. And that person, his condition is tahta mashiyatillah that is, he, he will be according to Allah's will. If Allah, Allah wills, He will punish him for his evil deeds that he didn't repent from. Or if Allah wills, He may forgive him and, and Allah forgives whomever He pleases except shirk. Associating or dying, worshipping something other than Allah. The fourth of them is the kafir who commits sin and his biggest sin is kufr. Then Allah would not forgive him but Allah would punish him. These are the four groups that Imam Ahmed mentions here. And he says, the text of, the, of his essay is, وَمَنْ لَقِيَ اللَّهِ بِذَنْبٍ يَجِبُ لَهُ بِهِ النَّارِ فَائِبًا غَيْرُ مُصِيرٍ عَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهِ يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِ وَيَقْبَلُ التَّوْبَةَ عَنْ عِبَادِهِ وَيَعْفُ عَنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ Whoever meets Allah with a sin which would necessitate the fire for him, but he has repented and he has not returned or went back to committing that sin again or being insistent upon continuing in it, then Allah will turn to him in forgiveness and Allah accepts repentance from his servants and forgives evil actions. And this is based on the ayah of Quran, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Shura, chapter 42, verse 25, And he, that is Allah, is the one who accepts repentance from his servants and he forgives sins. The second of them, وَمَنْ uh, That is, and the, the second is the one who committed a sin but he was punished for it by the Islamic law. وَمَنْ لَقِيَهُ وَقَدْ عُقِيمَ عَلَيْهِ حَدُّ ذَلِكَ الذَّنْبِ فِي الدُّنْيَا فَهُوَ كَفَّارَتُهُ كَمَا جَعَى فِي الْخَبَرِ أو كَمَا جَعَى فِي الْخَبَرِ أو كَمَا جَعَى خَبَرُ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ and whoever meets him, whoever meets Allah in the next life on the day of resurrection, after having had the prescribed punishment needed out to him for that particular sin in this world, then that would be an expiation as occurs in the narration of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is based on the hadith of Ubadah radiallahu anhu, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, while he was with a small group from amongst his companions, they were surrounding him, he said, pledge allegiance to me with the following, that you do not associate anything with Allah, don't make shirk, and that you do not steal, and that you do not commit dina, fornication or adultery, illegal sexual relations, and that you do not kill your children, and he kills them uh, unjustly or, or wrongly because of fear of poverty or so on, and that you do not slander, having conspired it amongst yourselves, 
and do not disobey in something that is good and just. Don't disobey those in authority from amongst you in the good and that which is right. Whoever dies amongst you, having avoided all of that, then his reward is with Allah, and whoever falls into any of these things and is punished in the world, then it would be an expiation for him. Here the Prophet ﷺ made it clear that whoever committed such a sin, but he was punished in this world, then it would be an expiation for him. And whoever falls into any of these things, and then Allah shields him, his affair is with Allah. If he wills, he will pardon him, and if he wills, he will punish him. So we pledge allegiance to him upon such. Uh, so this is also a very important point that whoever is punished in this life, and some of the scholars said whoever is punished while admitting their wrong and uh, feeling remorse for it and repenting and asking Allah for forgiveness from it, then if they were punished in this life, then it would be an expiation and they would not be called to account for it again in the next life. And this hadith is a refutation of the Khawarij who declare Muslims to be disbelievers merely on account of committing a sin, a major sin. Now any part of the false belief of the Khawarij is that any Muslim who commits a major sin, then he became a disbeliever. But here in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ makes it very clear that whoever committed a sin, major or minor, if they were punished in this world, it would be an expiation for him. And even if they were not punished, then perhaps still Allah may pardon them if he wills or he may punish them. But they do not become a disbeliever by such. This hadith is also a refutation against the Mu'atazila and who say that the one who commits major sins will certainly receive punishment if he dies without repenting. When in fact the Prophet said that if he repents, then Allah accepts repentance. And Allah said in the Quran that whoever repents, Allah accepts repentance. But if he doesn't, then Allah, if he wills, he may punish him, and if he wills, he may forgive him. But they said, no, whoever commits a major sin and he didn't repent, then he would definitely, certainly be punished when in fact Allah, it is up to Allah to do as he will to punish him or to forgive him. So then uh, he says, the third case or the third person of those people who committed sins, وَمَنْ لَقِيَهُ مُسِرًّا غَيْرَ تَعِبٍ مِنَ الذُّنُوبَ الَّتِي قَدْ اِسْتَوْجَبَ بِهَا الْعُقُوبَةِ فَعَمْرُهُ إِذَا الْإِلَى اللَّهِ إِنْ شَاعَ الظَّبَهُ وَإِنْ شَاعَ غَفَرَ لَهُ that whoever meets him, that is whoever meets Allah on the day of resurrection, having persisted upon their sins, continued in their sinning, and they have not repented from such sins which necessitate punishment, then his affair or such a person, their affair is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, Allah, if he will, he will punish him, and if he will, he will forgive him. Uh, and this is due to the hadith which we already mentioned, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that whoever falls into such things, uh, and um, then he, Allah may forgive him or Allah may punish him. There is a small group of the scholars who said that whoever repents, uh, that this includes only those people, um, that the punishment in this world only includes those people who repented, as I mentioned. Uh, no, that it includes those who repent and those who don't repent. But uh, the majority of the scholars, their opinion is that uh, whoever was punished for any deed in this world, that it is uh, that it is an expiation for them if they actually admitted their wrongdoing and felt remorse about it and repented to Allah and asked for His forgiveness. And then uh, finally, the last case is the case of the person who dies as a kafir 
ومن لقيه كافرا او من كافر عذبه ولم ولم يغفر له الامام احمد said that we will meet Allah as a disbeliever not having believed in Allah or worshiped him in this world then Allah will punish him and Allah will not forgive him and this is based on the ayah of the Quran in surah al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 72 انه ما يشرك بالله فقد حرم الله عليه الجنه وماواه النار وما للظالمين من انصار that whoever associates anything with Allah or who dies as a kafir when Allah has made forbidden for him the paradise and Allah has made his place or his home will be the hellfire and there will be no one to help the ظالمين or the wrongdoers that is those who disbelieve in Allah or worship something besides him and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 116 إن الله يغفر أن يشرك به إن الله لا يغفر أن يشرك به that is Allah does not forgive that anyone else should be worshipped besides him and the Shaykh uh, Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Jibreel in summary of this uh, final point he says that the matters of the next life they are with Allah Allah has informed us that He forgives whomever He wills and He punishes whomever He wills. So the matter is to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever returns to Allah and He is of the people of At-Tawheed, the people who believed in the oneness of Allah, who testified to the oneness of Allah and who worshiped Allah alone in this world, then He is qualified or He is expected to receive the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, مَنْ لَقِيَ اللَّهِ لَا يُشْتِقْ بِهِ شَيْئًا دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ Whoever meets Allah, while he has not worshipped anything besides Allah, then he will enter paradise. وَمَنْ لَقِيَهُ يُشْرِقْ بِهِ شَيْئًا دَخَلَ النَّاءِ And whoever meets Allah, while he has died worshipping something or, attribute, or uh, associating something with Allah, then he will enter the fire. In spite of this, uh, we don't say for sure uh, that this person is in paradise يعني, who meets Allah on Tawheed nor that this person is in the hellfire but we say as we mentioned earlier uh, in the earlier point that there is a promise from Allah for the one who says La ilaha illallah and dies on that and there is a threat from Allah for the one who worship something other than him but all of these things are matters that are yeah, according to Allah's will if he wills he may punish anyone and if he wills he may forgive whomever he wills and if he were to punish the people of the heavens and the earth then it would not be uh, injustice or wrong for him and if he were to have mercy then also his mercy is better than all of their good deeds and this is because no matter how much good deeds anyone might do, they would not be equal to the bounties of Allah and the mercy that Allah has uh, spread upon us. Even the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said about this, مَنْ يَدْخُلُ أَحَدٌ مِنْكُمَ الْجَنَّةِ بِعَمَلِهِ He said, no one of you would ever uh, enter the paradise simply due to his good deeds. قالوا ولا أنت يا رسول الله 
They said, not even you, O Messenger of Allah. He said, wala ana, not even me. Illa an yatagammadani Allah bi rahmatin minhu wa fadlan. Except that Allah would cover me with his mercy and his bounty. So no one should expect that because they did so many good deeds or any good deeds that they are entitled to paradise, but it is by Allah's mercy and Allah's bounty, even the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, not even me, except that Allah covers me with his mercy and his bounty. So we are in need of the mercy of Allah and our deeds fall far short from being an independent cause for us to be saved from the hellfire and into the paradise. But since Allah has ordered us to do good deeds, then we do them. And since Allah has ordered us to try to increase and do more and more good deeds, we try to make them plentiful. And since Allah has prohibited us from evil deeds, then we try to refrain from them because He has made the doing of these evil deeds the reason for a person to enter the hellfire and the doing of good deeds a reason for a person to enter the paradise. When he says, uh, the shaykh then talks about the second class of people, that is those who meet Allah while the prescribed punishment has been performed on them. And then he says what we already mentioned, that is that there will be an expiation for them if they repent. But if that person denies their wrong and doesn't confess to their wrong or admit that it's wrong and they don't repent from it, then even if they are punished in this world, it would not benefit them in the next life but that punishment would only serve as a warning to them from committing such an act again, and it would serve as a warning for others from committing such wrongdoing or acts of disobedience or sin. So, in summary, the Shaykh, he uh, only mentions these two classes, that is, those who uh, Allah may forgive because they are of the people of Tawheed, and he mentions those who the prescribed punishment has been uh, performed against and he says that those who are the people of Tawheed that they could be forgiven because of their believing in Allah alone if Allah wills he may forgive them or he may punish them for some of their evil deeds and as for the people who the prescribed punishment has been performed against then it is an expiation for them in the case and this is according to the majority of the scholars it is an expiation for them if they actually feel remorse and admit their wrongdoing and repent to Allah for doing such wrong, for doing such evil deeds and not if they continue in those evil deeds and deny that it is wrong or don't feel any remorse or feel any, any sense of uh, wrongdoing for what they have done. This is the end of what the Shaykh says about this. Uh, there's no time to go into the next point, inshallah, in the following session, um, which we are now, we are left with two remaining uh, lectures. In the following session, inshallah, we will begin with uh, stoning, the ruling uh, related to stoning those who uh, should be stoned for the, uh, the one who committed adultery while they have been married. And uh, then we will uh, also discuss the case of those people who speak ill against the Sahaba. And this is specifically, as we mentioned briefly in the previous lecture, the Rafida or the Shia. And then we will talk about also a Nifaq or hypocrisy fighting against the Muslim, cursing a Muslim or calling a Muslim a disbeliever. Inshallah, hopefully in the next lecture we will cover these points and then in the final lecture, uh, denying kinship, the matter of uh, paradise and hellfire, that these are two created things which are in existence already and the performance of Salat al-Janazah 
on the people of the Muslim Ummah even if they were killed. These will be the last two lectures insha'Allah. Then after that um, there will be an examination for those who want to take it. Uh, and, uh, and then I think after that there will be a gathering for all of those who participated in these lectures, at least for the sisters, um, uh, to uh, just to have some uh, opportunity to socialize and to and spend some time together. So this is the end of what we wanted to say. We hope that, inshallah, Allah will bless us to benefit from it, that Allah will uh, encourage us and inspire us to increase our good deeds, to refrain from uh, acts of disobedience, to uh, ask His forgiveness for whatever sinful act we have fallen into, and to repent sincerely. And that repentance should include the acknowledgement that what we have done is wrong, the immediate uh, stopping or cessation or leaving that which we have done, feeling remorse for what we have done, trying to do good, to, to good deeds to make up for the wrong deeds that we have done, and if any rights have been violated of other people, such as property taken from them or otherwise, then those things should be restored in order for that repentance to be correct and to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let us try to uh, avoid acts of disobedience, and if we fell into such as human beings, then let us ask Allah's forgiveness and repent to Him sincerely. May Allah guide us to understand the correct sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to try to implement it in our individual lives and in the lives of our families and our relatives and our friends and our neighbors. May Allah protect us from the deviation of the deviants and the misguidance of those misguided people and from the whispering of shaitan and help us to be of those who guide to that which is right and are examples of that which is right and may Allah make our hearts pure that whatever we do is sincerely for him subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any questions or comments or corrections we have about five minutes before the salah.